served with hoorah. You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's bad with money with Gabby Dunn. Hello! I'm Gabby Dunn and this is Bad With Money, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. We are we are just uh, days away from a big announcement that we're going to be making. But um, first, I wanted to release this episode with the Debt Free Guys. Um, they do a podcast called Queer Money. And if you guys don't know, it is the anniversary this week of the passage of gay marriage. Um, I personally, when that happened, was at a gay country western bar named Flaming Saddles that no longer exists, R.I.P., uh, and I went out with some friends. We had the best time. We were celebrating. It was so great. Um, made out with some girl. And so I wanted to do an episode that is uh, on the heels of this uh, anniversary. And I wanted to talk to two of the first queer money experts I ever knew about when I was just starting out. Um, and they did this really interesting survey with The Motley Fool that's all about um, queer people and money. Uh, it's one of the more in-depth ones that's happened in the last five years. And they also talked about financial discrimination, especially the ways in which financial institutions have discriminated against queer people in each individual way, lesbians, gay, bisexual, trans, all of those things together. So yeah, we've come a long way and we still have a long way to go. So uh, happy marriage equality anniversary, everyone. Here is my interview with the Debt Free Guys. For my audience, can you tell us who you guys are and what you do? Absolutely. I'm John. I'm David. We're the Debt Free Guys and host of the Queer Money Podcast. And we talk about all things LGBTQ money. So, okay, why queer money? Why do we have a podcast, queer money, or why do we talk about queer money? <laughs> Both. <laughs> Second one. Um, so, uh, we've been in financial services our whole adult lives uh, and um, found ourselves in $51,000 in credit card debt, came out of that debt, decided we wanted to use our personal and professional experiences to help other people with money. And in 2015, we went to... Uh, conference called FinCon that happens every year for money nerds to get together and talk about nerdy things like spreadsheets and numbers. And um, we realized there were about 900 people there that year uh, in 2015. And we realized there were all these different bloggers, podcasters, uh, content creators who were speaking to different niches. So they were mommy bloggers and military families and Christian moms and all sorts of different demographics. And there was nobody who was speaking to the LGBTQ community. And Wild. We were um, kind of getting a sense of this, and we actually had several folks from the conference come up to us and say, of the 900-some people who are here, you're the only out LGBTQ people that we know. Um, you guys should start talking about yeah. LGBTQ money, and we thought about that, and we're like, you know, we should. We are. Turns out we are gay, and there are <laughs> <What>? some nuance. <laughs> well, you know, it, it was funny, because on our blog, the Debt Free Guys blog, we never, we never really kind of... We're out there shouting, uh, we're loud and we're proud, we're here, we're queer, get used to it kind of thing. But we also didn't hide that we were a couple, right? We talked right. from our experiences, we're gay, and and sometimes that wove into the things that we would post, and sometimes it wasn't. Um, but 
it was it was kind of an eye opener that we were like, wow, why why is nobody talking to the LGBT community about money? And that's when we were like, okay, well, if nobody else is going to do it, it's time for us to do it, right? (laughs) Here's a question I ask all the time that is somewhat rhetorical. Do you guys know the points guy's gay? (laughs) We do know the points guy is gay, yeah. (laughs) It took a while for him to come out. Honestly, I think that uh, at least um, he took a long time to start posting content that actually um, leaked out that he was gay. Right. I uh, know, but it's just it I had no idea before I interviewed him. And then now it's like this delightful thing where I'll be like, do you guys know the points guy is gay? And so many people are like, the points guy is gay. Yeah, <laughs> he's huge. So that's great for right. us. huh? Delightful. Yeah. Um, so, OK, so you guys sent me this uh, really interesting and um, sort of uh, emotionally wrecking um, survey that you did with the Motley Fool. Um, and it's about financial discrimination for LGBTQ people. Um, and what what made you guys want to do this study? So it, it, when we, in 2016, we started our podcast. And what our, our podcast has always been about money with a rainbow twist, right? We wanted to kind of weave in what's, what is different about queer folks and, and how we use money or what is different about our relationship with money. And um, we... We're dig- we would oftentimes try digging for data. And I mean, it was painful because we literally were always going back to just a couple of data points. There wasn't a lot of data out there. And so it really kind of, it kind of, we kind of got tired, tired of saying, well, that study from 2017 and here it is 2021. And we're like, it's five years old. This is so out of date. We need something that's current. And really what kind of, I think kind of precipitated all of it is um, we were working with a a brand that uh, sponsors our podcast and um, they said to us in 2019, okay, let's go big in 2020. What do you guys want to do that we haven't done before? And we're like, oh, this is the open invitation to finally get the data we want, right? And so we proposed to them, let's do this money study and let's actually do a study from the angle of this study is only for queer folks. It's not okay, like 10% of the people we're interviewing are queer. Um, it's all queer people. And we can really then kind of segment out or to look, take a look at trans folks versus lesbian versus bi versus gay and as, as much as we possibly could with the, the number we're able to sample. And, uh, well, we all know what happened in 2020. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... Nothing that we wanted to do in 2020 happened. Um, right. And we were fortunate enough that last year, um, The Motley Fool reached out to us to to talk about an art, to get some information and, and interview, interview us for an article that they were doing during Pride Month. Um, no surprise there. That's when we get most people reaching out to us. Cause I know. <laughs> it is, right? It's my bread um, and butter. <laughs> right, yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Unfortunately, right? We do hashtag exist 365. Um, yeah. Right? But um, they reached out to us and John... We just started commiserating with the, the writer of the article. Like, there's just no data out there. Like, the stuff is old. It's, it does. It's, it's only partially us. It's not necessarily representative. And so I saw this as another opportunity to say, hey, would you guys be interested in, in, in partnering to, to create a, an LGBTQ-focused study? And they said, yeah. So we've been working on it for about a year and finally came up with the questions. And uh, so now we have the final re- results, which is we think is hugely informative. How did you find the people? 
we used a, a platform called Polefish. Um, there's several different kinds of polling organizations and companies, and so sure. uh, Polefish uh, sort of has these uh, members, I suppose, is what you mm-hmm. would call them, who have uh, solicited their, shared their information, various demographic information, um, and then when you create a poll, you just pick what your sample size is that you want to shoot for, and then you get you wait till you get those responses. So what is the the history of this survey? Like it goes all the way back to when I was reading it, seems like it started in 1974. I think going back to that point of their, the, the lack of information about our community, right? And the fact that our community is changing almost every year, right? We need updated information. You know, it was, it, it seems like every generation, we have more folks who are comfortable coming out and so as our, communi- our community is literally growing by millions of people every year because people are now feeling comfortable. We think that there's an explosion in, in folks identifying as non-binary and trans because they're feeling it's okay to do that. But mm-hmm. you know, before, folks only felt like they could only be an L, a G, or maybe even a B, even though that wasn't talked about a whole lot. But now we're, we have so much more... Um, perspective and that's why we wanted to get more updated information i'll add that um because we were only sort of addendums in past studies where they were able to capture anything lgbtq related the sample size in those cases were very often just 300 to 500 lgbtq people oh wow and you know what happens in those situations right the gay men dominate the responses lesbians second and everybody else is sort of just like lumped in with oh well gay men are doing fine so everybody else was doing fine or or <laughs> Vice versa, whatever. So this particular study polled 2,005 self-identified LGBTQ folks, and we waited long enough until we got a statistical sample of trans folks. So we got we were able to get 702 self-identified trans folks. Right. Oh, yeah, that's so, great. So over a third of the folks who responded um, are individuals who are trans. And we did that intentionally because, like John said, in the past – Trans folks have been completely left out, and we don't think that that's been a. It, there's been a a represent re, proper representation. We've all been grouped together, and we know what happens when you do averages. You lose some of the information that is is vital to the needs of the community. So one of the things that you found um, was that it's more than half of LGBTQ plus adults have a high amount of financial stress. That's like 66%. That's over half. Um, And was that a surprising statistic or were you more or less expecting that it was going to be like more on the over 50% side? A while back, I think it was in um, in 2016, Mass Mutual did a, a, a study, and they included LGBT folks in their study, and that study showed that 56, or maybe it was 58% of LGBT folks worried about money on either a daily or weekly basis. So we were kind of expecting a number to be similar to that, and we're not actually too surprised, especially after the pandemic. And you know, the shit we've gone through over the last couple of years we have seen it disproportionately affect the LGBT community. So when you read statistics that say 64% of LGBT folks have, have themselves or a member of their house uh, household has lost or been furloughed or uh, lost their job during the pandemic, it's no surprise that more of us are stressing about money. And I think 
what was it, it was kind of interesting for me personally to just see the percentage of people who are worrying about money on a daily basis right these are the people who are just that if you're struggling and you're 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 stressed about money every single day the mental health effect of that on your life um is is damaging right mm-hmm. it it just physically your body is going to react to the stress you you the relationships you have are going to be impacted by that stress your performance at work is going to be impacted by that stress the the ways that we relieve stress in our lives there's a variety of ways that we relieve stress, but unfortunately, our community is known to gravitate towards some vices that can actually be pretty detrimental. So all of those things kind of add up to this is why it, it can have such a damaging effect, not just on our money, but the rest of our lives. Absolutely. I mean, so what did you guys find were some of the the top queer people's concerns? Because I know like stressing about money daily, stressing about money weekly, What what are they specifically stressing about? Well, not too surprisingly, the number one response was being able to keep up with the cost of living. And we polled folks just sort of as inflation was starting to skyrocket. Oh, so wow. It makes complete sense that that's, and I don't think that's probably, that's an, that's that's unique relative to our community. I think that's throughout the Americas and Europe right now, that's pretty, pretty big concern. Um, people were also concerned about having their money uh, last as long as uh, through their, their retirement. Um, that was also a big concern. Yeah. And also, uh, I think the second biggest concern was having enough money in case an emergency came up. If you don't have enough money for your daily expenses, it's highly likely that you're not then putting money aside for an emergency and even more unlikely that you're saving for the future. I think says a lot about how we're earning our money, where we're earning our money, where we're living and the way we live our lives. Yeah. Let's talk about that. What is the the trans wage gap or the trans wealth gap? Because you were saying you know if you're not making enough money so what what is what are the wage gaps there so what was kind of interesting about this study and this John and I have said this before this uh, this study really answered questions but I think added just as many questions right? right because once you get the data then you're like okay well why is that data the way it is um, and what was so interesting about this and we were kind of surprised by it was that when you look, when you broke, when we broke the study down of gay versus lesbian versus transgender versus non-binary, and then other, when it came to wages, actually, when it came to top earning wages, trans folks in the study were doing better than the rest of the community, really? which is kind of surprising. It doesn't necessarily match the data that we are see, we've seen before. And so one John and I want to dive into this more. Um, we do think that there is uh, there are several reasons, but one of the things that that we were surprised by was just the number of trans folks who are earning over a hundred thousand dollars a year was that that was the 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 largest group when you compared against gays, lesbians, trans, non-binary um, and it, they were the large they had the largest percentage of their group was earning over a hundred thousand dollars. I wonder so, is that racial too? Is it just like white it's probably like white trans people I would imagine. Well and that's that's one of the things that we need to dig into more. Right. Um the nice thing about it this is we have a massive amount of data and we did kind of a cursory look at the data. And so 
like I said, one of the things is we, we feel like this has raised a lot of questions. Um, and we do think that a possible explanation for that is, as I mentioned before, more folks are now feeling comfortable coming out as trans or as non-binary. So we may be seeing that there's a larger number of folks who are in their late 30s, early 40s, mid 50s that are finally, okay, I do feel comfortable enough to finally come out. And because of that, they may have built up a history of having a job where they were earning good money. They were doing the things that would prepare themselves financially. And now that they've come out, that data is being reflected in studies like this. Whereas before, they may not have been out. They may not have been out as a trans person who is a trans person who is straight, a trans person who is gay or lesbian or a trans person who is bisexual. They may not have come out. They may have still been a straight, straight white man. I mean, that's kind of what we've kind of maybe have attributed to this to it is that there are more straight white men who are now, well, they were identified right, as straight right. white now men. Right, right. Now they're like now, taking now. some time to think. Right. I was going to say it's because we're all software engineers. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. So I, I will let you know. It's a little inside joke. <laughs> right. I will let you know that um, the the racial breakdown of our study does pretty much correlate with the racial breakdown for, for the census data, the U.S. census data. But when we are diving into the, the numbers a little bit more, a larger percent of trans folks listed themselves as in financial services. Really? What do you any mean? Other, so they're in, they're in banking, they're in insurance, they're financial planners they're somehow in in the financial services industry so they may just be closer to the education they're working with the the tools and resources for clients or for their their business and they they figured out how to apply that to their lives so we have we have to dig into that a little bit more and like he said it elicited as many questions as as it answered but so are are more trans people getting into financial services i don't know maybe but that'd be awesome if they did I also think, you know, we we'll look at the trans community. Where are they most likely to feel comfortable living? Where are they going to get the services that they need? They need? They're most likely going to be in places like San Francisco, LA, New York, Chicago. These are cities where the population is dense. And because of that, the cost of living is high. And because of that, employers pay more money, right? The, the, the likelihood of a trans person living in Omaha, Nebraska, making $150,000 a year is probably a lot less than a trans person living in New York City making $150,000 a year, right? There's all sorts of explanations or theories that we could make about why this is the case. And I think that's the, the, the fun part of digging into the data is, is you know, theorizing and then seeing if the data actually matches that. We don't have that kind of breakdown completely for this data yet. Maybe the next study. <laughs> oh, my God. White trans people are such fucking nerds is what I've taken away from this. We are nerds. <laughs> So one of the biggest things, I mean, there's all this kind of data there, I'm sure, you know, showing people, uh, LGBTQ people who have, you know, a much lower rate of home ownership, a much lower, you know, much higher rate of debt and all these kinds of things. Um, but I wanted to talk about 
It says nearly half of LGBTQ plus Americans have experienced discrimination by someone in financial services. Um, so can you talk about that a little bit? Because that's something that I haven't even seen studied. Like I've seen old studies about the other stuff, but I haven't even seen anything studied in my research as to our treatment, uh, a discriminatory treatment in financial services. So um, yeah, can you say more about that? For sure. So the reason we asked that question was because there was a mass mutual study uh, about LGBTQ retirement that listed, that said that um, 56% of LGBTQ respondents thought haven't re- hadn't reached out to a financial planner because they thought that the planner wouldn't know how to help somebody like them or wouldn't want to help somebody like them. Yep. So we've been toiling on that data for years and we thought, okay, how can we take this a little bit deeper? And so we asked it point blank, have you been discriminated by somebody in financial services? So it wasn't too surprising, unfortunately, that 48% of people said that they felt like they've been discriminated by somebody in financial services, banking, or insurance. And then 44% felt that that had played some significant role, at least to a degree, in their lack of financial security. So it wasn't really too much of a surprise, but it also angers us because, as we said earlier, we're from financial services. We have been in this industry for years, so we understand how hard it's been to try to get financial services to be inclusive. And quite honestly, it's still not including us. I mean, how often do you see LGBTQ people in marketing and collateral for a bank or financial services or insurance. There's there are occasional glimpses out there, and very often it's during Pride season. But it's just it's just nothing relative to the fact that there are 20 million LGBTQ people in the country. You're not you're just not seeing that that correlation. Um, likewise, I don't think that a lot of financial advisors um, probably are comfortable reaching out or connecting with the LGBTQ community because. Despite the progress we've made for equality for gender and LGBTQ and gay queerness, it's still a very heavily pale male and stale industry. And so um, they either, Mass Mutual might be right, they either don't know how to connect with us or they don't want to connect with us. So it's our responsibility to force them to change. Um, and David and I take a lot of ownership in, in trying to do that. Yeah, I think um, something that's come up a lot on this show, particularly for marginalized people of all kinds, um, is that there's fear. Like you don't, you're walking into a situation that is not only you don't know anything about money or you need to ask questions that might seem quote unquote stupid, but you're also like stealing yourself to be misgendered. You're stealing yourself for the person you're talking to to think that your partner is your sister. Like you're really like, you're walking into these situations where you're like, not only might I be made to feel foolish about money, but I also um, will then be completely misunderstood in terms of my lifestyle and my personhood. Um, and and so like, I think that's something that keeps a lot of people from these, con- because a large part of the queer community is very non-confrontational and socially anxious. Right. But I think a lot of us still sort of look at it as like we're, we're having flashbacks of going into high school gym class again. Like I've got to go into this office or this room of people who are all older white men and they're apparently smarter or cooler and hipper than I am. And now I've got to ask these very, should I should know the answers to these questions, right? Shouldn't Doesn't everybody know how to balance their checkbook or pay their credit card or invest in the stock? Um, but you've got to sort of expose that side of yourself on top of the fact that you might risk exposing something that they might not necessarily resonate positively with. You know, and I, I, I don't know, do you know um, Kate Anthony? Uh, Kate Anthony no. is the CEO of uh, Euphoria. 
Euphoria is a platform that has built several apps specifically for the trans community. And she was uh, she was explaining to us the other day that she literally walked into a bank to have a conversation with a loan officer, and the loan officer says, "No, we don't want to give a loan to someone like you." I mean, this is in tw- in in the last year or two. Yeah. I mean, how, how does that you know? It, it it's not just the sometimes it's the the fears that we have inside of ourselves, but it's also sometimes the overt fact that these some of these people know that they're going to get away with it. John and I. John and I you refer to a term called cascading homophobia, uh, and that's typically when um, someone who wants to be an ally and wants to support us, say, for example, in making a decision to support the community on the business side, but they have to answer to somebody above, above them, and they will typically say they would prefer to say no to us and end up saying no to the community rather than having to explain to their boss above them why. But if you know, if you yourself are homophobic or transphobic, and you know that your superior is also homophobic or transphobic, which we know happens, right? We yeah. know that, that there's that um, good old boys club, right? right. Uh, uh, and it, so if you know that somebody above you has got your back, say whatever yeah. the fuck you want to say, because they're going to cover your ass, right? right? And so that's why things like that happen. And then we hear stories about that. And then we perceive that, okay, if I'm queer and I'm going to do this, I'm likely to face that kind of discrimination. It's not just the actual discrimination. It's the perceived potential for discrimination that really kind of can cause us to hold ourselves back, which, you know, we have to look back on what our community has done over the last five decades, six decades, I mean, we have stood up and we have told a lot of people, we're here, we're queer and get used to it, right? Mm-hmm. And we have to do the same thing with corporations today too, you mm-hmm. know, especially because most discrimination is now happening at the personal level. It's not happening at the corporate level. And so we That's need to so say to these, these people who are discriminating against us that we're not gonna stand for this. This is what's going to happen, and we have to have the guts to be able to go to Lambda Legal or to their to their HR department or you know Twitter. whoever it is that we have to work with. <laughs> Twitter, <laughs> public shaming. <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> it's tough because it's also like um, I think we're taught to second guess ourselves. So sometimes we gaslight ourselves, or we are gaslit. Where like someone will say something offhand, whether it's even like you know going in and wearing a suit to the to the loan meeting, and you're an AFAB person, or um, you know, be, it, it's it's these things where you're like, I think that's why they didn't give me the loan. I think that's why they didn't allow us to have a mortgage. But like, I can't prove it. But you just like know in your little gay heart, you're like, this is this is homophobia. But there's like, mm-hmm. so that it that chips away at you. That is like, like you said, your mental health. I mean, that that little by little wears away at you till you go, you know what? I don't want to be involved in this. Right. Yeah, well, exactly. so this is our argument is I, we understand the desire to do that. We, we totally, totally get that. Mm-hmm. But we, we can't we can't be indignant about our own financial security simply because there are assholes in the industry. There are people who will support us. We just if somebody's homophobic, transphobic or whatever. Pick your battles. Just find another financial advisor. Move to the next person because your financial security is critical, not only for your own peace of mind. But we're at a juncture in our evolution, our history as LGBTQ people, that 
we need to be more personally empowered. The stronger we are as a community, the stronger we are to be able to fight the inequality, the state-level laws that are that are being pre- uh, passed across this country. It's wonderful that President Biden passed these executive orders. That's fabulous. But the next Republican that's going to come into office on their first day is going to re- erase all that. So we can't become complacent. And part of that, us becoming a stronger fi- uh, queer community, is that we as individuals need to become financially strong. We need people to have more time and money and resources to be able to give to the politicians and the causes and organizations who are fighting for our rights. We need to have our own money. We can't continue to look for corporations or hoping that the right politicians will begin to office. We need to start funding these people to make sure that that happens. Because the Christian right is doing it. They are. They are organized. They They have funds that they're pulling together to be able to fund lawyers and politicians to be able to change laws against our favor. And they've been doing it for 30 to 50 years. We are so far behind. We have to get that organized and and then some. Yeah, it's tough too because of the wealth gap. Like you see a lot of sort of trans people disowned, homeless youth are largely LGBTQ, you're disowned, you know, so you might come from like this wealthy family, you come out, they're Republicans, like they're still, you're not benefiting from the generational wealth that these people have had to then raise more homophobes and transphobes who then use Mm -hmm. their money in the same way. And we're just like scraping by trying to like grassroots fundraise. And it's just like this, this... This thing that is like such a huge gap um, that sometimes I think we give up. It does feel insurmountable sometimes. What's interesting, though, is even when it comes to the tools that are available to us as a community, we're not using them. That's as well, yes. There's there's a much, much larger percentage of LGBTQ people who are not using banking products like a checking and savings account. And when you don't use a checking or savings account, you're going to use payday loan services, check cashing services, things like that. Well, you're paying fees on things that you don't need to. And if you didn't, if you did use the right tools, you know, I always say it's like trying to build a house with a pair of scissors. Yeah. And it's not going to work. It's just, yeah. you need the, you need, we need to use the tools that are available to us and be proud I mean, we're we're so proud when we have a new pair of shoes or we've taken a vacation or we walk into the HRC dinner in our fancy new suit and we want everybody to notice us. But why is it when somebody who has the financial means and says, hey, look, I've got $40,000 in my retirement account and I'm only 25, everybody says, ooh, you're bragging, that's bad. But you can watch walk into a gala event in a... $6,000 suit and everybody's like, yeah, sister, you look great, right? <laughs> no, right. It, it, we sell it in our community. I think sometimes we, it's great to celebrate those kinds of things. Yeah. But let's celebrate financial, being financially aware and, and using our financial means in the right way, especially when it comes to getting rid of or eliminating, I'm sorry, minimizing our mental health issues. I think that the the, the financial uh, pressures upon us are increasing our mental health issues, which just then oftentimes makes us not want to participate in our financial health. I mean, we don't trust the government. Historically, we don't trust the government. Why would we? Um, you know, I've spoken to a lot of particularly black queer people who are like, why would I ever? Um, and like, so, you know, these institutions, banks, government, you know, things like that, 
I think there's a lot of like fatalism where we're like, we don't trust them. They don't look out for us. They don't care about us. What do I know about the bank? I don't know the bank. Like, right. I think um, I think there's also this, you know, idea of like our used to be that our like life expectancy wasn't that long. So like, why do we care about retirement? You know, I, I was really taken aback that in the research in this study about retirement, trans people didn't even make a percentage. There wasn't even like enough of a percentage for like trans people saving for retirement, I think. Or it was like such a low percentage that it like wasn't even a thing really well what what's interesting and you bring up a good point and i don't know if john you were going to talk just talk about this um you bring up this good point about us not trusting right yeah and i think that one of the most surprising data points from us for us in the study here was that lgbt folks um were as likely if not more likely to have a crypto wallet as being participating in a retirement account. What? Right? Why are no. we doing that? No. Well, it, I, I think it speaks Especially to that. Especially now after the last couple of weeks. Right. <laughs> no. When, I think that kind of speaks to this idea of, I don't trust the government. I don't trust these financial services companies. Um, so we go towards kind of these decentralized means of- It makes and, sense. You know, I, I have anonymity, right? right? I can buy and sell and do things with money and nobody knows who I am. Nobody knows, nobody has to check in to see what my, does my gender and marker match my voice? Does it match my, uh, you know, uh, does my sense. name match all that, you know? And which com does make sense, but unfortunately it also puts us in a very precarious and risky situation. Right, mm -hmm. we're not participating in the in the means in which the vast majority of people in this country have built their wealth, their their long term wealth, and that is through the financial with, with through financial tools like an employer sponsored retirement plan. And that doesn't mean that crypto won't go anywhere. No. Plus, the crypto market <laughs> se seems a lot like the 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 late '90s for dot com. It's just like there's something there. It's going to materialize into something, Ugh. but it's going to be an ugly ride until we get there. And it can be it could be 15 to 30 years until we actually get to that point. So it's a little bit premature for our community to start diving into crypto, at least as aggressively or or as an alternative to a retirement account, which has proven to help make more millionaires than any other product. Um, uh, well, you know, other than stealing it from people. Sure, of course, which we love to do. Art fraud, down for it. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't get caught. Yeah, exactly. So if you're just individually investing, if you just, it's up to you to do and all this stuff, like it is a lot of, um, calling and talking sometimes like you know for me like trying to sort of talk to my wealth person and you just feel overwhelmed and even with individual investing which you don't have to talk to anyone you could just like go on TD Ameritrade or what Fidelity and do what you want it is um overwhelming because you might not have people in your community to talk to you might be the only one in your group of friends who's doing it yeah. That's why one of our top recommendations, almost every podcast we go to, if you had one piece of advice to give to folks, what is it? It's always to start talking about money. Because mm -hmm. you know who's talking about money? Who's not ashamed to share their net worth, their credit score, what they're investing in? Rich people. 
Yeah. But we've got this 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 perception like, oh, I shouldn't talk about it. It's not proper. It's not polite. It's being brag. It's uh, brag- mm-hmm. being braggadocious. Is that the word? Even um, share and- your failures, please. Yeah, yes, please. Absolutely. Like we've all made monumental mistakes. That's exactly how the debt free guys got started. We shared the fact that we got into so much credit card debt. We need to start talking about these things because that'll then help us figure out how we can use those mistakes or those opportunities in our life. One of the first years we went to FinCon, I think it was the second year, the group of people that most impressed David and me were black women. The black women they taking are. control of their finances is so inspiring. And that's who we want our community to replicate. Like, if these women can do it, despite all the pressures and uh, barriers that they've had, our community can use them as our talisman to be able to do the same exact thing. And they're t- people like Tiffany and Tanya Rappley, and also, they're just changing the entire dynamic for their community. We can do the same. Straight black women are are on such a rise in the financial media community. I love to see it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And you know what they're doing? They're yes, they're posting their pictures of them having a nice vacation or doing their nails or taking uh, a, a break, right? Whatever it is. But at the same time, they're also sharing coupon codes with each other. They're telling each other where you can get the best deal on this yep. or that thing. They're they're looking out for each other financially, and I think that's the part of the equation that maybe our community um, can do a better job with, right? Um, you know, we all we all like to do the other side of it and share how much fun we're having. But if we could also say, hey, guys, we're going to go to brunch at this place because right now they're doing two-for-one mimosas. Yeah, I yeah. know that place is a little bit easier to get to and a little bit better, but we're going here because right now they're doing two-for-one. Even or just even, little yeah. tiny things like that, right? Yeah. Or even things like um, sharing with each other. I mean, now I've seen a little bit of a rise in um, in trans financial advisors. They're all pretty much white. Um, but like I've seen a rise in that or sharing with each other. The way that I learned how to do individual investing was because a queer woman of color was like got on Zoom and taught me. Like there's there and, and her whole thing is she's like, I want to share this with everyone. Like there is, um, there is a lot to be said about us all talking to each other. And, you know, social media has made that even easier because I think sometimes in your group of friends, you're the only one who's doing it or you're the, and then that's your job to then take that back to the people that are, you're around. Um, so that's been like a huge part that you're right. I feel like has been missing a little bit. A hundred percent. A couple of years ago, we wrote an article for Forbes trying to encourage more trans folks to become financial planners because I think the perception for people who are outside the industry are like, you're like in the boiler room trying to sell the hot stock tip of the day so you can right. de- deplete your, your, your inventory of a particular junk bond or whatever. But that's not the case. Like a true financial planner is, yeah, they're providing buy-sell recommendations in stocks, mutual funds and whatnot, but they're also a life coach. They're also a mental health coach. They're all different kinds they of They should know what you want out of life. Yeah, so right. you're helping these people who are as confused with money as most of us are, who need to have money to be able to live the type of life that they want to live. So what kind of goals do you have? You're helping them achieve these goals. And I think this is a financial planning is a great industry for LGBTQ people. So highly encourage people doing that. And then the more of us that are in the industry, we can change the whole discrimination equation. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you more about you? Also the study, if they want to read it. Absolutely. We are the Dead Free Guys and Queer Money Podcast uh, on the internet and all things social media. And then you can type in uh, Motley Fool Dead Free Guys LGBTQ Money Study in Google and it'll take you right to Motley Fool. And actually, our 
our podcast, our podcast episode next week is actually oh, yeah. us having a conversation with someone from Mont with Vool about the data, a little bit more information. So if you're interested, check that one out. Oh, perfect. Okay. And I'll put the link to it in the description for the episode. So I really appreciate awesome. it. Thank you Thank so much you so for much. coming on. You Thanks bet. for having us. We appreciate it. Are you guys ready for next week? That's right. Next week, there's going to be a huge announcement. On Friday, though, we have an amazing episode with Rachel Rogers where I answer all of your questions. It's a straight up Q&A. She's going to answer questions from you guys from Insta, Discord, and email. And then, oh, man. We're revamping the whole show, baby. We got some brand new stuff happening, brand new formats, brand new guests, and maybe an even bigger reveal. So if you have thoughts on anything you heard today or if you just want to talk to me, I would love to hear from you. Be sure to send me an email at gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com. Leave me a voicemail at 844-474-4040. You guys are not off the hook. You have to leave me voicemails or voice memos, which you can email me because you all call in. I do my radio show on Wednesday mornings on AMP and you all call in and talk to me so I know you're not shy. Join our online communities. We are on Instagram, Discord, TikTok, Patreon, and Facebook. Links to all of these will be listed in the episode description. Do not forget to listen to the show the day it drops so we can get on the charts and spread the word. Also, leave me a five-star Apple review and I will read it on our mailbag episodes. Also, yes, so again, on Friday, not our usual mailbag. It will be a Q&A. And then next week, announcements. Okay, love you. Bye. Done.